Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. This is Paul Peluso. I'm the editor of Officer Magazine, and welcome to this episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going, Frank? Pretty good, Paul. How are you today? Hey, great. So, we just wrapped up our uh, latest issue of Officer Magazine, the September-October issue. That will, um, when this podcast is posted, um, be in mailboxes a couple days later. So we wanted to talk about um, one of the articles that we ran in that issue. And this episode is about duty gear. And we had our buddy uh, Rick Levine, who is from uh, NAMED, and they, uh, they represent... Um, uh, uniform manufacturers and distributors throughout the company, a lot um, of ones that you guys are definitely familiar about. And he's written pieces um, for uh, officer.com and for officer magazine for a while now. Uh, but he wrote the article innovations to serve and protect basically just covered a bunch of the emerging emerging trends in law enforcement duty gear. So to start us off, Frank, if you could just kind of touch on, you know, how you've seen gear, um, uh, evolve uh, uh if you could yeah, only recently and through the years if only you could see the huge smile on my face because i'm yeah, thinking right. wow how much i've seen it evolve I've, I've watched for half a century now um we, we've come certainly a long way from wool full dress uniforms on the street um and and there are so many different types of uniforms now that we often forget the different branches, right? I mean, you have daytime duty uniforms, evening or night duty uniforms, you have dress uniforms, um, you have, uh, I don't want to say casual, but kind of the duty uniform pants and polo shirts. You have bicycle uniforms, SWAT uniforms, canine uniforms, um, all these different uh, uniforms that agencies have. And then you have the development of the different pieces thereof. Uh, and it certainly has evolved a lot from uh, the days of everything being leather to now being hybrids or nylon, um, you know, all body armor being concealed to external carriers now serving as load bearing as well as armor. We, we've certainly changed a lot. I can't count how much uh, in, in the past, Paul, and recently what we're seeing is a lot of technological advances as far as materials, um, antimicrobial stuff. Uh, you know, moisture wicking, but heat uh, insulation um, or cold insulation, you know, it'll keep you warm, but it'll wick away your sweat. Same material. It's really neat. Things like that are just, uh, it's amazing what the industry is doing. I think um, Rick did a good job in going over some of the biggest changes that he's seeing. And certainly he's in a position to see it from all the different major players in the industry. And yeah, so Rick, um, talks here first about load bearing vests and how a lot of the gear that would traditionally be used. And we've talked about this before, but a lot of the gear that officers would wear on their belts is now being moved to the vests themselves. Um, what kind of benefit uh, does that give officers on the street? You know, uh, it, it's a great savings for back injuries uh, and lower back strain. Um, and it can help distinguish very important differences. For instance, on, on rare occasion, we'll see an example where an officer intends to draw their taser, 
but they don't train with their taser near as much as they do their firearm, their sidearm. So they pull their sidearm, they yell taser, and then they pull the trigger. And unfortunately, a round is discharged. Um, and that's what happens sometimes when you have everything on your gun belt, right? When when you make a greater separation and you move equipment up to the vest, you have less of a chance of things like that happening. Plus, you can get redundancy. Um, you know, there's the old statement of two is one and one is none. If I have one flashlight on my gun belt, okay. If I have two, I have one on my gun belt, one on my vest, then I have that backup. I can carry extra magazines on my vest. I can carry a tourniquet on my vest. Uh, the radio can be moved to my vest if need be. And we can save kind of some waste space, that 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 gun belt space, for um, more use of force tools. You know, the baton can go there. A chemical weapon can go there. Um you know, handcuffs, we don't, the, the bottom, at the end of the day, we don't want anything in the small of our back. We sit on that all day in a, in a cruiser, uh, in a patrol vehicle, and it just causes so much curvature of the spine and can result in lower back injuries and pain. The the, the, the use of the load-bearing vest really is a healthy option, um, and it can be very professional looking, especially with some of these external carriers that are out here today. You can't even hardly tell it's not a uniform shirt. Yeah, and you know, um, Rick then you know go, goes into you know how materials that are being used in a lot of these products have transitioned, and yeah, like you said, you can't even tell that some things are a uniform shirt. That um, you know, more things are being made in uh, nylon now, and um, the mole um, outer vest carriers, and that you know different types of leather um, are being used. Uh, than they traditionally would for more comfort uh, for officers. So if you could talk a little bit about some of those materials and how that has really changed things. So we really have seen a, a transition over the years from the, the thick, stiff uh, leather everything, um, you know, gun belts, holsters, radio carriers, just, just simply everything. Um, and I, I want to remind people, even in shoes, dress shoes and boots, everything used to be 100% leather. In those days, you didn't break in your footwear. Your footwear broke in your foot. Uh, very uncomfortable process, by the way. Um, so, But what we're seeing now is this transition to either softer leathers, more malleable leathers, um, and, and less reinforcement. And it's unnecessary reinforcement that makes it so super stiff to the softer leathers, the cowhide, um, more durable, but also more comfortable and less stitching um, that was unnecessary, you know, things like that. And then, we're, and then we see the nylon and nylon can be anything from a super thick, stiff, durable nylon to a very thin. When you think about it, a lot of camping tents and tarps are made out of very, very lightweight yet waterproof nylon. Um, and of course, with nylon, you can make it any color you want. So you have the ability to have the black nylon standard utility if you want, or you can have blue utility, part of your uniform wear, or you can have yellow high visibility, orange high visibility, red for EMS indications. Excuse me. Um, there, there's so many different options now with nylon, and then the hybrids really kick it off. Um, I think you know, a long time ago when there was Uncle Mike's, they had the Pro 3 holster. It was a mix of nylon and Kydex and leather. And, you know, 
it was a great hybrid solution and we're seeing so many different materials today. I don't think that evolution is going to slow down. I think it's going to keep on going. But when you look at a uniform in total, you go from footwear that's probably a hybrid leather nylon um, to duty pants that are probably some kind of cotton, polyester, other mix to shirts. Uh, same thing, this moisture wicking yet insulating materials that are so comfortable to the, the the gun belts and the body armor, the carriers that are nylon um, and and uh, Kydex, plastics, whatever else they've got in there, polycarbonates. It's just, it, it, there's so many different options and the engineers are really on their game um, coming up with the new design ideas. Yeah, and the way that they get those ideas is also important. Um, Rick talks about the uh, importance of collaboration. For some of these companies and Chris Scahill from 511 uh, talked about how they use end users to really help in the development process and figuring out, you know, the next direction uh, to go in and some of the technology technologies that 511 uses in uh, the gear that it creates. So uh, things such as bloodborne pathogen protection, uh, antimicrobial properties, and also the capability to have, um, you know, gear to be laundered at home. Um, you know, so and that was amazing, about, Paul. You know, I, I Forgive me for interrupting you, but yeah, during COVID, all the dry cleaners closed down, but police yeah. officers still had to work. And if your uniform was dry clean only, what did you do? I mean, you know, the ability to simply put your uniform in your washing machine at home is huge. And a lot of people never paid attention to it until it slapped them in the face. Um, but I love how... And, and in Rick's article, he talks about this, um, you know, 511 Tactical, LE Gear, they get feedback from the end users. And I was part of a, a group that did that uh, when Safari Land was coming out with their new, their new duty holster, the Safari Vault. Months before they released it, they got a whole bunch of what they considered subject matter experts together and let them wear that holster out. Uh, and then they got feedback on the holster. And I mean, you got guys like, um, Jeremy Stafford and Dave Spaulding and just, I mean, uh, Fred Madison and the, just just people that are leaders in the field and they go try this thing out and then they come back and they say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is how you can improve the design. And if you're not using that kind of expertise in the field, you know, looking at the experience that these people have, I mean, I'm not bragging, but if you put me, Dave Spaulding, Jeremy Stafford, Fred Madison together on a firing line, you got about a hundred years of experience standing next to each other that they can give you feedback then on how well something works and that these other, that, that these uh, manufacturers are doing this, that 511 is doing it, that LE gear is doing it, that they're taking advantage of that experience, that real world field experience. That is a huge strength. That's going to help everything get better as the designs get upgraded. So, yeah, so in this, uh, Ellie Gear talks about um, their Trident approach. And Jason Simple from uh, from Ellie Gear basically talks about how they, you know, use end-user insights and academic val validation um, as a pro pro proactive means of ensuring that their gear aligns with operational needs. And th this goes into showing how, you know, there's um, manufacturer and supplier um subject matter experts that are involved end users involved in the academic review. Um, can you talk a little bit, Frank, about how 
you did just a second talk a little bit about it, but how like these academic reviews by, um, you know, uh, universities and tactical research teams, how that helps kind of shape um, a lot of this gear. So it's really interesting that you have field tests and you have laboratory tests, right? So, you know, the guys I talked about, those experts in the field, they take a product uh, that's a prototype and they go out in the field and they do all that field testing. Uh, and that's one kind of research. But as the example, uh, say Safari Land issued something saying it takes 500 foot pounds of pressure for, uh, you know, this holster to be ripped off of this platform. Well, there's no way for us in the field to do that with any sense of accuracy. It's only pass or fail. Could we rip it off or couldn't we rip it off? And that's where the academic institutions and the laboratories, that's where they come into play. They have the ability to test specifics. If you say a material is waterproof, well, how waterproof for how long? I'm not going to set up a hose and drape a shirt over a chair and then, you know, try to control the environment and the specifics of everything to say, yes, it's waterproof. I tested it for five minutes. I ran a hose on it. No water went through. Well, then what we know is it's waterproof for five minutes under these conditions. The academic institutions and the laboratories have the ability to test these statements and, and say, yes, this garment or this piece of equipment meets this specification. And as an example, it might be uh, an NIJ armor uh, rating. It might be a mil spec rating for dust uh, avoidance or dust blockage. It might be a mil spec standard for waterproof or somebody else's standard for waterproof, but they can test those standards. And so it, that that is an important thing. Field testing is one thing. Academic and lab testing is another. And if you only do one, you only know part of the story. If you do both, you have better insights into the true viability and value of what the, the piece of equipment is. So large part of this also, uh, Frank, is is how these companies uh, are able to prioritize officer well-being. And I'm hoping I'm saying this guy's name correctly. I probably am not. But Matteo Reconatini uh, from Heroes Pride, he talked about the... Uh, pivotal role that officer well-being plays into the development of modern law enforcement gear. And, you know, you spoke about how so, with the load-bearing vest, how that helps take some of the um, weight off of the officer's uh, back and yep. how that can help. But you also think about, you know, mental well-being as well. We, we think about that as, as a lot. Um, now we talk about that a lot among officers. Um when when you think about just having less stress on your body, it also puts less stress on your mind. Um, how do you think some of this gear helps with both the physical and mental, um, you know, well-being of officers? Well, I think everybody understands that physical comfort plays into uh, relaxation and mental well-being, right? Um, if, if you're getting dressed for work for the day and you're a person who hates to tie a tie around your neck, Every time you put on that tie, you're feeling the stress of that. And you're and you're just, it's a negative spot in your day. Well, if somebody says that you can wear a clip-on tie, it makes it a little bit better. It makes it a little bit easier. It, it's, it's it, for whatever reason, that difference can help. When we look at putting on uniforms, and I talked about earlier, the all-leather footwear that would break in your foot instead of the other way around. Using shoes or footwear as the example, if, if you're putting on comfortable footwear, 
it's great. This is going to make my feet feel good. If you're putting on uncomfortable footwear, it's, oh my God, I'm going to have to put up with this all day today. My feet are going to hurt and I can't wait to get home. And what you're focused on is a discomfort, not being, not wanting to be where you are. It's a distraction from what you're doing. Uh, and that can hurt even officer survival because if you're not focused, you, you know, risk can come up that you miss threats that, that are on you before you can avoid them or counter them. Um, it really is important that if the uniforms and all of the equipment is comfortable and operationally sound. So it's got to keep the equipment where you need it. It's got to protect you physically the way you need to be protected, but it doesn't need to break you in the process. It needs to be comfortable. And that means a clear mineral picture going to work. It means better focus on doing the job, being aware of potential threats around you, those you need to serve around you, what kind of what kind of help you can assistance you can offer. It's in general less distraction if it's more comfortable. And that in general means less stress in your day. And that matters. You're absolutely right. We're very aware now of health and mental wellness, emotional well-being. And uh, we tend to forget that literally everything can impact it um, from, you know, getting your lunch interrupted because you got an emergency call and you didn't get to finish your meal. So now you're hungry for the rest of the day to you ate too much McDonald's and now you're driving around your car lethargic, trying not to fall asleep. Um, all of it has an impact and we really need to find that balance. I think the the uniform manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers are really moving in the right direction in that vein with the recognition that comfort functionality can impact mental health and well-being and emotional well-being. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one, one of the things here is um, that was that Rick hit in this piece is about um, the need for, you know, holistic view in the way that this uh, gear is developed. And um and basically that these companies take all of this into account, all the stuff we've talked about. So I, I would suggest to those out there that are, you know, looking to purchase new gear to research it properly and make sure that the companies that uh, create this gear, you know, do some of the things that we've talked about um, and that'll, you know, hopefully provide a, a good product that you'll be able to use in the field. You know, I'd like to point out that if you go out today, and I'll use holsters as the example, if you're a Facebook uh, person, you're, you're on Facebook, and you scroll through, and you've ever done anything to indicate that you're a shooter, you'll get a plethora of holster manufacturers advertising coming up in your Facebook feed. And there'll be a dozen, 15 of them you've never heard of. And they're individual making, quote unquote, custom holsters, whatever their pitch is. Some of them are great. Some of them aren't. But here's the real world. If it's a manufacturer who's been around making holsters for well over 20, 30 years and whole agencies and whole military units are buying their equipment, they're tried, tested, and proven. You can have faith in their products. Uh, our officer labs is another way we test products. And if we test them, uh, it's rigidly field tested to make sure it performs as the manufacturers say that it will perform. And then only if it passes that testing, do we give it our officer labs uh, seal of approval. It, it's tested field rated is what we call it. If, but, but you can't go out and think, 
oh, well, this guy over here can get me a holster for half the price of that guy over there. And that guy over there, he's been around for 30 years, but this guy over here is half the price. I'm going to go with the cheap price. All too often you get what you pay for. And when it comes to duty gear and equipment, that can be catastrophically bad. So stick with the tried, proven, tested people out in the industry. Don't try to pinch pennies when you're getting duty equipment. Well said, Frank. Um, I, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today for this episode of the Officer Roll Call podcast. If you uh, have any comments, suggestions, anything you want to um, convey to us, you can reach us at editors at officer.com. And uh, thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.